Um, and I think it's going to be a help to many of us. So let's go ahead and get started in prayer. God, thank you that we can be here today. I thank you for these people. I thank you that they have come, that they have given up their time. Lord, to be here, that is the least that we could do, Lord, is to give you of our time each week to set aside time to say that we're going to be in your house with your people, God, how important that is for our strength and, Lord, for us to be able to be ministered to and also to minister to as a part of the body. So I thank you for that today, and I pray that you would help us as we go through these lessons. Lord, I know there are many people that need to hear what it is that you want to speak to us, and I pray, God, that I would speak clearly, that you would use me, fill my mouth with your words, and help me to speak clearly and under the anointing, God, of your spirit. We give you all glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So our series is going to be, this is the title. God is our refuge. So that's our series for the next few weeks, um, which I think is going to be great. And today we're going to be talking about how we can get strength in suffering. Strength in suffering, which I think can resonate with everybody, whether at the moment or in just the near past. We've all been through times of suffering and times that we didn't understand, and we needed the strength of the Lord during those times. So the, the idea of this lesson is to get us to a place to where we say that I will cry out to God and trust him when I'm suffering. That is our goal. That's what we should do. Um, we shouldn't at that moment turn him off and say that we don't need him or say that we have magnified our suffering over our Lord because he wants to be our help. And we're going to talk about that. Psalm 22, verses 1 through 2, says this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. Does anybody ever feel like that? Like, I have been crying and screaming for such a long time, and Lord, you, why are you not hearing me? Do you ever just feel like God is not hearing you? You're in the worst trial of your life, and where is he at? But here is a truth about God that we need to understand, and through these lessons come to solidify in our hearts, that God will give strength to those who turn to him in their suffering. And a lot of time, our reaction to suffering would be to turn away from the Lord, or to turn away from what we know pleases the Lord. But what we need to do is turn to him. Just be consistent. You know, I prob I'm, I'm here a lot, almost every Sunday <laughs> and almost every Wednesday. Um, if I'm not here, it means that I am probably at church somewhere else ministering. Um, but I will tell you this, that I go through suffering. I go through things that are hard. I str and we've talked about this, and I have no problem saying it out loud. I struggle with times of depression and times of anxiety. Personally, I struggle with that. And it's not something that just goes away and never happens again. But here's the thing. There's probably a lot of you who have talked to me during a time when I had just that day felt very depressed or very anxious, but you may not have known it. And that's okay. Because I took it to the Lord. <laughs> it's 
So this is something in, that I've tried to practice in my life, and it doesn't always work. Sometimes it's bigger than me. Sometimes I need the body of Christ to help me through. In fact, often I need the body of Christ because I'll tell you what happens is when I do make up in my mind that I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord and with the people of God, even at my darkest, when the time is through, I feel the strength and the joy from his presence that is promised in his word. And so the worst thing that we could possibly do during our time of suffering, during our time of whatever the suffering is, whether it's depression or anxiety or anger or a situation, the worst thing that we could possibly do is turn away from the Lord, which when you turn away from the church, you've turned away from the Lord because this is the body of Christ. I saw a little meme that kind of made me tickled the other day, and I'm going to see if I can... I can't remember what it was. I wish I could because it was a very good illustration of what it's like when you say you don't need the church. We need the body of Christ. Um, and so... For a lot of us, it's the body of Christ that pushes us to say in our suffering, I go to the Lord. Why? Because we hear testimonies from other people. We hear of circumstances where others have gone through similar things, and yet they have come through, and that is an encouragement to us. Why? Because they can come alongside us in prayer. They can come alongside us just even in conversation. Have you ever gotten through a conversation with somebody who's been through the same thing as you and felt better just knowing that that person who seems like they have it all together has been through tough times? Just a testimony can be an encouragement to somebody who's suffering. So we're going to talk a lot about that, just turning to God. And, and we're going to talk through the next four weeks of people who were in situations that were very painful and full of suffering. And sometimes I look at these stories and I think to myself, well, I've not been through much at all when I look at some of these Bible characters because they have really been through it, and yet there they are serving the Lord and an example to me. So a lot of people think, you know, as a child of the Lord, this is, I'm, I'm going to be exempt from all pain and all suffering in this life. Maybe we think, why, have you ever noticed that when somebody comes to the Lord and they are filled with the Spirit, they're baptized in His name, it's like an immediate attack from the enemy. Right? But sometimes maybe in their mind they come and think everything's going to get better. I'm not going to. Uh, everything's just going to be better, and we're going to not deal with any suffering. But that's not true. Um, God, does he gave us all free will, right? Right? And bad things happen even to good people and to Christians. It's just a fact. And we should not assume in ourselves that we're never going to face pain and suffering. So Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, the Apostle Paul, while preaching the gospel, he and Barnabas come to a city called Lystra, which is in Acts chapter 14. And while Paul was preaching, God healed a man who had never walked. Paul commanded the man to stand up. The man leaped up, completely healed. And the Gentiles who witnessed this miracle were astonished, and they began to shout that Paul and Barnabas must be gods. They must be some sort of God if they were able to do this. They have this supernatural power. And Paul and Barnabas were barely able to restrain the crowd from offering sacrifices to them. But there was a group of Jewish opponents of Paul from the surrounding area that arrived and managed then to turn the crowd against Paul 
So much so that the people went from wanting to give him a sacrifice to stoning him. So miraculously, and it was a miracle. If you read the story, you see, I mean, Paul is stoned to the point of like, they leave. He's done. He's done for. So Paul is stoned, and he survives this miraculously, continues his, his work in that area. And Luke sums up this period. Luke writes the book of Acts, sums up this period of Paul's ministry by saying that there were confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. We will, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. So when Paul talks about much tribulation, he knew what he was talking about. He had been through a lot. You read the list of all the things that he'd gone through. He gives you a short list in one of the epistles just about how many times he was beaten, how many times he was put in jail, how many times he was shipwrecked. (laughs) Men went through a lot. And he knew that that would be how he would enter into the kingdom of God through much tribulation. It's somewhat like that scripture that talks about how we must know him in the fellowship of his suffering, talking about Christ. How many of you want to know Jesus? It's not a trick question. (laughs) It just is. I want to know Jesus. And the Bible gives me a formula for that in that scripture through the fellowship of his suffering. And so I have to, in my time of suffering, understand that while something bad is going on in my life, I have an opportunity to know Jesus better. A lot of us, we think of that suffering that Jesus went through when we think of his crucifixion and the physical pain that he went through. But during that time of his ministry, it wasn't just the physical pain that he suffered through. But in that day, he suffered through everyone that he had been close to leaving him. He suffered through family members. If you remember last week, we talked a little bit about Jesus' mother and brothers coming, thinking he was a lunatic. And coming to get him, he suffered through the rejection of his family. Jesus went through a lot of suffering. And through our suffering, we can know him better. So there is an opportunity in suffering that we can't look away from. And we will suffer, but God will give us strength in our suffering. Now, this is starting to sound kind of depressing. And don't worry, it's going to get more depressing because we're going to talk about Job. (laughs) You've got Job, who is going through this, you know, we know the story. A lot of people know the story of Job. We'll we'll go through it a little bit. But Job goes through this unexpected test. Job chapter 1, verse 6 says that the angelic sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord as he sat on his heavenly throne. Surprisingly, Satan himself appears in the heavenly court. And God asked him what he had been doing. And Satan replied that he had been going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it, apparently seeking someone he could accuse as being unrighteous. A little bit like that verse in Peter that says the devil, like a roaring lion, is looking for somebody who he can devour. He's still doing it. So he's looking for someone who he can accuse of being unrighteous. And and the Lord says to him, have you considered my servant Job? 
that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. So the Lord lifts up Job as an example here, which is kind of amazing to think of being the person that the Lord would say, look at this guy. Let, how about this one? So Satan, he doesn't deny that Job appears to be righteous, but he did question Job's motives. And he lays down a challenge. And he says to the Lord, but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to your face. Satan was implying that once the blessings dried up, Job's righteousness would dry up, and his supposed service to God would be shown for what it really was, sinful self-service. Now, you should go through it and read, read the book of Job and just read about some of the things that Job did um, even before this happened, even the ways that he cared for his children, um, the sacrifices that he made for them. It's, it's very interesting to see. So on a side note, if you get the chance to go read Job, do that. So God decides that he will silence the great accuser by proving to him that Job's righteousness was genuine. And in that proof, God would vindicate Job and himself. So God told Satan, you can attack Job within limits. You can't touch his health. So Satan leaves the Lord's presence and immediately made ready his assault. So God allows him to do this and... We see that this is the limitations with which, which Satan is working within. Now, this is a tough question to look at um, when you internalize it a little bit. You know, the question then becomes, do you desire for God to work on your life? You know, do you desire for God to shape you and mold you and and into what he sees you as being? Is that something? And see, that's kind of a serious question because a lot of times, you know, you hear, you hear people say, never pray for patience because you'll never know what you'll go through, right? But I would say that one of the most um, mm, courageous prayers would be, God, shape me, make me into whatever you want me to be. Because <laughs> if you allow him to do that, he's going to do it. And when God chips away at your life, at what you have built your life to be, it's painful. It hurts. When your future becomes not what you thought it would be because God is, is do, answering your prayer, it becomes a painful thing. And somehow you draw closer to him in the fellowship of his suffering. So one day Job hears a commotion. He looks up and he sees one of his servants running towards him and saying that the Sabians had raided and killed his servants and taken all the oxen and all the donkey. And the servant that says it says, only I escaped to tell you. And while he's still speaking, another servant runs up and he says, fire from heaven fell and burned up your sheep and your shepherds and only I escaped. And while he was still speaking, another servant ran up. Chaldeans attacked and took all of your camels and killed your servants, and only I escaped. And in just a few moments, Job's prosperity is completely destroyed. See, there's no such thing as camel insurance at this time. It's gone. It is no more. Isn't it funny how now there are so many things for us to rely on? We don't even need to rely on the Lord. 
house burns down, we got homeowner's insurance. I'm thankful for those things. But it is funny how sometimes modern conveniences can push us not to rely on the Lord. So here's Job. He's got no prosperity left. And then, as far as I'm concerned, he gets the worst message. Another servant comes and says, your servants, or your sons and your daughters, they were at your oldest son's house, and a tornado struck the house, and it collapsed on them, killing them all, and only I escaped. And in this moment, Job's most precious possessions were taken from him. So he's overwhelmed with grief. There's no way he can be. He is overwhelmed with grief. You read of his character, the care that he has for his children. You, there, there is a part of, of his story that says that he would, he would offer sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of his children. That right there lets me know he really loved his children. He wanted his children to be right in the eyes of God. So he is crushed here, overwhelmed with grief. The Bible says that he rose, he rent his mantle, he shaved his head, he fell down on the ground, and he worshipped. He worshipped. In his agony, he still worshipped. He maintained his righteousness. And Job chapter 1, verse 22 says, In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job and God were vindicated, and the accuser was silenced, or so it would seem. I don't think that would have been my reaction. Right off. I don't think I would have worshipped. I've never, ever been through anything similar to what Job is described as going through. But had I been, I doubt that worship would have been my first response. However... The truth of the matter is your problem might be, might not seem, or your suffering might not seem as great as Job's. But suffering and the brokenheartedness that it brings for you is just as impacting as Job. You understand, it was just as impacting. We've all been through things that have impacted us in the same way that Job was touched. Broken our hearts to the same extent of which Job's heart is broken. Because we're human and there are things and people that are important to us. And when something happens, our hearts are broken. Now for me, it's never the, it's probably not ever been the first response with a broken heart to worship the Lord. Probably a little bit more like, why God? But I have learned that when you get to that place of worship after that, it is a good place to be. So as Job is suffering from his great loss, Satan again appears in the heavenly court. And God proclaims that Job has still maintained his integrity before God. And undeterred, Satan laid down another challenge. Skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. In other words, God, if Job's health is destroyed, his worship will turn into cursing. So the Lord told Satan he could afflict Job physically, but he could not kill him. Now, how many of you think at that point Job in his life might have been hopeful for death? He's in a bad place. But the Lord says you cannot kill him. 
And so Satan went out immediately, afflicted Job with boils all over his body. And Job sat in a heap of ashes, mourning his fate and scraping his sores with a pot and a picture of perfect suffering we see. So Job cries out to the Lord. He has three friends that come. They hear about these things and they come to comfort him. But they were so shocked by Job's appearance, by what had happened to him, that they began to weep. They began to grieve. They tore their clothes and sprinkled dust on their, ha- their heads. And they sat with him in silence for seven long days. This is how you know it was a group of men. Because there's absolutely no way women would have been able to sit in silence for seven long days. <laughs> but you see here his friends here, and they, they don't have anything to say. There is no way that they can fix it. It cannot be fixed. It is so terrible. So they just offer whatever strength that their presence can bring him. Now, again, let's look at the fact that what happens here is he is sent these friendships even just to be with him. And, and you know, I know I was a little bit funny about women couldn't do that, but... We could if we really needed to. <laughs> but just being with friends. A lot of times in our suffering, we would like to isolate ourselves. Right? And so we see here, right here, which if you don't know this, the book of Job is probably chronologically uh, the first book that's written here in the Bible. Like it should be way in the front. It's one of the first stories that happened. So we see in one of the first stories that happens that he turns to his friends, people he has things in common with. You can even see from their understanding, they understand his relationship with the Lord, and they refer to it, um, that he turns to them. And I, I just, I feel like we should not be too quick to pass up on that. Now, there are certain things that happen that maybe make you wonder if you look at the book of Job. A lot of it, I'm just like, I, it's just beyond my understanding. This is a really good shortened summary where it's like, yeah, that's good good story but go read the book of Job it's a lot a lot happens Um, but he finds or is given the comfort of friends and during these long hours of silence Job is grieving he's dismayed at his loss and he he suddenly breaks his silence and he cries out cursing the day he was born and lamenting his fate, crying about what has happened to him. He says, may the day perish on which I was born and the night in which it was said, a male child is conceived. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for troubles come. He needed some encouragement. He was not in a good place. Now, I want you to think for a minute, if you are in a place of suffering, in a place where you need an encourager, is there somebody that you do go to? Is there somebody that you do talk to? Do you go straight to the Lord? Is there a brother or sister in Christ that you talk to? I have three people that I can think of in, for me personally. Um, and sometimes it's just as simple as a text that says, I really need you to pray for me. Here's what's going on. Um, and so I'm thankful for that. But I do. I have people that I, that I turn to. Um, and that very much helps me. And I know that as, as a 
a female, as a woman, that is probably a lot more um, normal, I guess, you know. But it's it's still I'm it's still human. It's still flesh. We need one another. We were created to need one another. We were not created to isolate in times of joy or in times of suffering. Because what happens is when you begin to isolate, the suffering just seems to get worse. When you begin to isolate, then the things that are the issues become magnified. But when you find someone that can be an encourager or just a listener or just a presence, it helps get get us through the suffering. So what Job felt at that moment as he cried out is perfectly expressed in the anguished question that we read in Psalm 22 when he first started. And David would later on in the word of God ask this question as he suffered and felt abandoned by God. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, God, I will cry in the daytime but you don't hear me, and in the night season, and I'm not silent. And David, like Job, roared in anguish. And so we have a pattern in Scripture that reveals the acceptance of crying out to God when we face suffering. And both of these examples are not very nice things, are they? They're not like contrite and and filled with humility. It is like, God, where are you? Why was I even born? We feel like a little anger there, right? And yet we see it and the acceptance of crying out to him and suffering. God desires that we seek him and call upon him when we find ourselves overwhelmed. Psalm 5015 says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. He's waiting for us to call out to him. And sometimes you may do that in a little bit of anger. And sometimes you may do it in grief. And without understanding. The point is that when we are in suffering, we must call out to the Lord. Most of us have not suffered in the extreme like Job. But maybe you've lost your health or experienced great financial loss. Perhaps you've grieved the death of a child or grieved a child rejecting the Lord. Maybe you've been betrayed by a loved one. Perhaps you have experienced persecution for your faith or been constantly attacked and undermined at work. Or perhaps you've experienced the acute suffering of being unable to relieve the suffering of someone you love. We've gone through suffering. We must cry out to the Lord no matter what category we fall into. We may assume because of these sufferings that God has forsaken us. Might feel like he, he's just not there. We do this thing where we like tell everybody but the Lord. <laughs> like any conversation we can get in, we would like to complain about whatever it is we're going through. But we have, like we can't even say it to the Lord. We don't take any time to talk to him about it. If you're, uh, I have been convicted for complaining to everybody but the Lord before. But the Lord is like the safe place to complain to, right? Number one, he's not going to be offended us. He made us. 
with all of our emotions. We are created in, in his image. He knows exactly who we are. So to complain to the Lord, it's like the safest place you could possibly go. Number two, he can fix it. Like there's not anybody else that has the power to fix certain things, but God can fix it. But I want to complain to every, every other person about it, right? I need to take it to the Lord. So we pray, or we should pray. We should pray for answers. We should pray for deliverance. We should pray at least for God's consoling presence. And sometimes answers come at once. We feel like God is close, but sometimes answers do not come very quickly. We feel we, we don't even know where God is. We cannot feel him. And so we try again to cry out to the Lord. Like, like Psalms 22 says, we cry in the daytime. We cry out at night. We'll try different times. Maybe he'll answer. No answer comes. No comforting touch of his presence envelops us. But the Bible tells us that God will, he will give strength to those who turn to him in their suffering. In Psalm 22, 4 through 5, it says it seems, it, we find that it seems David's sense of abandonment was increased by remembering the stories of how God had delivered the Israelite ancestors in the past. They had trusted in God, they had cried out to him, and they were delivered. Now let's remember, it was 400 years later. <laughs> That's a long time. And David is saying, this is not working out for me. He's trying and trusting, tr trusting and crying out, but there's nothing. This had, the Lord, David had had a relationship with the Lord for as long as he could remember. We, if you read through that Psalm 22, you'll see that he had hoped in and trusted in God his whole life, and it had not been in vain. He had known the presence of God in the past, so now he called on God to remember their relationship and come near again to deliver him from his misery, a misery from which only God could save him. He was, he was basing his crying out to God on what he had been through in the past and the way that God had been there for him in the past. He knew that God would be there for him again because he had been there for him in the past. So he tells God about his misery here in Psalm 22, and he confesses to God what he had learned long ago in his walk, that God was his strength in suffering. And recalling God's strength in the past moved David to call on God to hurry up and be his strength again. So how can we use our past experience with God to strengthen our faith in the present? You know, giving thanks to God, whether you feel thankful or not, is a really good way to do that. When you start to give thanks to God, you realize how much you have to be thankful for, and it's like there is a strengthening in that. Remembering things, words from the Lord, things of the Lord, and God's word even. I particularly remember um, when I was about 19 years old, I was at the time, I mean, you know, how much, you might think how much problems could a 19-year-old um, go through that was in a pretty secure home life and going to Bible college, right? Um, but I was, for my, you know, I was in a very dark place. And probably nobody knew 
my parents, I think, knew. Um, but my life was not going in the direction that I had expected it to go in. And so I was dealing with a lot of disappointment. Um, and I had come home from Bible college and told my parents, and it was just mid-semester, and I told my parents, um, I'm not going back. <laughs> I'm here not just for the weekend. I don't plan on going back. And they did not give me that option. <laughs> they said, yes, you will go back and you will finish. You can't live here, so I guess you'll have to go there. Um, but that's where I was at personally. Just a lot had transpired. And I was just really questioning what it was that God wanted to do in my life. And had I really heard from the Lord? Did I, you know, was I even on the right track? And I will never, ever forget how the Lord reached for me. I was sitting in church. I was at my home church where I grew up. And there was an evangelist there that I knew and trusted that was working, that worked a lot in the gifts of the Spirit and the word of knowledge. And he had no clue why I was home. He just thought I was there for a visit. And I will never forget, he was preaching. He's in the middle of his message. I don't remember his message, sorry. But he was preaching. And I was sitting over here. And he was looking this way. And all of a sudden, he went, Mandy? No. Yes? He said, come here. So I walked up there. And he said, I want you to know that God knows right where you're at. And even now my heart beats so fast when I think about how God would do that for me. He said, and he looked at the congregation and he said, sometimes you're in a place where you feel so alone that you say, God, if you would just... Like, make a dog. And he said, this is what he said, okay? He said, just make a dog walk past a payphone and accidentally dial my number and breathe into the phone just so I'll know somebody's there. He knows right where you're at. And I have hung on to that word. And every moment where I feel like suffering or lonely, I remember how God interrupted a whole service to say to me, I know right where you're at. I know right where you're at. And I'm thankful for, those, for, for that moment because it has sustained me through a lot of things. Still very uh, emotional to me to remember where I was at that moment and, and that God would do that. Um, but we, while that was a very personal moment, it was a very direct word for me. What I've come to learn is that at the time, I didn't know how to look into the word of God for the same promises. And now I do. And so God reached past my ignorance to speak a promise that it was already in his word for me. And here's what happens now is I can look into the word of God for the promises that I need in my suffering. I'll read a few to you. And you don't have to go very far to find them. But this is what the word of God says for you. For you. His word is for you. 
Joshua 21:45 tells us that God's promises never fail. It says not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. God keeps his promises. God is always good. Psalm 119:68. You are good. You do good. God is always with me. Joshua 1:9. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is faithful. Hebrews 10:23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God is kind. He's compassionate. Isaiah 54:10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love, my kindness for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. God designed you for a purpose. Ephesians 2:10. For we are God's handiwork. You, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. <coughs> he was so committed to you working in his kingdom that he prepared things for you to do in advance. You know what that tells me? That there is a work to be done that if you are not doing it, it is not being done because it was prepared in advance for you to do. Now that is convicting. That there is something God prepared for me to do. And if I'm not doing it, is it going undone? I pray we're convicted by that promise. That's a whole other lesson. Romans 8, 38 through 39 tells us that God loves us deeply no matter what. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present or the future or any powers, no height nor depth or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God gives me power for my life. 2 Timothy 1.7. God's presence brings joy. Psalm 16.11. God will fill me with overflowing with hope. Romans 15, 13. God will strengthen and help me. Isaiah 41, 10. God will give me wisdom if I ask. James chapter 1, verse 5. God promises abundant life in John. God has a plan for my life. Jeremiah 29, 11. And God can be trusted. Hebrews 10, 23. Now this is just 15 scriptures that I've mentioned. And there are hundreds of. Hundreds of promises from the Lord in the word of God. If you're struggling to read the Bible or you need direction or maybe you're a little bit like me and reading it straight through is hard for you to do because you can't pay that much attention. <laughs> Look in the word of God. Seek out his promises. When he said that promise, why? Who was he talking to? Where was it? What was the context? Learn about those things and, and receive those promises from the Lord. God's word is true. And while I cannot explain how the word of God is living, it is living. And it can shape me and mold me. It can take me in my suffering to joy. The suffering may not be gone. You know, we read at the end of the story of Job that his, what was taken from him is restored. He gets new camels, and he gets new oxen, and he gets new uh, stuff. And the Bible tells us that he has more children. But do you think that made the suffering of losing the first set of children 
any less. No. But the promises of God and the word that God speaks to Job, which is a very powerful word. Read the book of Job. To know that Job was serving the God that put the whole world into motion. That was what sustains Job to be able to move forward and essentially build a new life, even in suffering. And those memories, they were still hard. They were still painful. There are things that are painful for us that we think about, and daily they are painful. And what this lesson is trying to do is trying to push us to say, when I think of those things and when I am in my suffering, I will commit that I will turn to the Lord. Whether it's me saying, I don't feel you. I talked to you this morning and you weren't there. And here I am tonight and you're not there. But I've learned that even like the song says, if I don't feel it, you're working. You're there. Even if I don't see it, you are there. And that is entrusting the word of God. There's a, there's a little video that we're going to close out with today, and it is essentially just uh, reiterating what we talked about as far as the word of God being a place where we can find his promises. So let's show that. I'm thankful for God's word. He has given us many promises throughout his word. He said that in Psalms that his word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I'm thankful for that promise alone because I know that I need that on a daily basis. One of the things that my pastor taught us is that in his word, to read it every day, to pray it every day, he taught us a rule of five, five things that you do every day. One of those being reading his word. Write down some of those promises, those scriptures that he has in his word, those promises that he has for us. Write them down and pray over them every day because that's what strengthens us. That's what gives us hope. That's what gives us peace and comfort. I know that in many times when people are suffering that they need that peace and that hope. That's why we give them scriptures to read and to pray every day so that whenever they go back to that word, whenever they're having a moment where they're just not feeling comforted and they're not feeling that peace and that hope of maybe after losing a loved one or something to that significant that they can go back to those scriptures and they can read those scriptures and they can pray those scriptures i'm so thankful that god's word stands true that he will always be there for us that he will always be there and help us and strengthen us and give us that peace and hope thank god for his word Let's just do that right now. Let's end this by just telling the Lord that we are so thankful for the promises in his word. And if you are suffering through something, why don't you just talk to him about it in a minute. Lord, we love you and we thank you. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for your word, Lord, and how it breathed life into my soul at a time when I needed strength and when I needed encouragement, Lord Jesus, that as the psalm says, your word came and healed me, God. I testify of that today and I thank you for it, Lord Jesus. I thank you for your word and when I open it, the promise 
promises that I find there. I thank you, Lord, that when I read your word and when I study your word and when I teach your word, God, I can get a respite from my suffering. I can get a place of peace, Lord God, and I find that in your presence. I pray today, oh God, that we would stand upon your word, that here in your presence we would receive the strength that we need and the peace that we need and the joy that we need, oh God. All of these things are found in your presence, oh Lord, and I thank you that we can be here and that we can have access to your presence today. You've been so good to us, and your word has never failed. You have never failed, Jesus. We love you, and we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.